0: Opinions expressed on the core of the matter are those of the participants only, and not necessarily those of WVPHFM or Rutgers University. You're about to hear an episode of Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum of 90.3 The Core in which Tom interviews Anna Little. She's the mayor of Highlands here in New Jersey, and she's also the Republican candidate for Congress in District 6. Also running in District 6 are our current congressman, Democrat Frank Pallone Jr., Independent Jack Freudenheim, and Karen Ann Zalatel, of the Green Tea Patriots. Unfortunately, Mr. Pallone declined our invitation to appear on Core of the Matter, and we have not been able to find any contact information for Jack Freudenheim or Karen Ann Salatel. If you happen to know how to get in contact with either of these candidates, please let us know by emailing Public affairs Director at thecore.fm. If you're looking for nonpartisan information on every race taking place on November 2nd, you can check out the Eagleton Institute of Politics at Rutgers at njvoterinfo.org. You can also find information on how to find your polling place. Stay tuned for Core of the Matter.
1: This is Core of the Matter, the Public Affairs Forum 90.3, of the Core. I'm Tom. This week on Core of the Matter, I'm speaking with Republican Mayor of Highlands, Borough, and candidate in this fall's election for the House of Representative candidate for the 6th Congressional District of New Jersey and a little. For benefit of our listeners out there, the 6th Congressional District comprises all or portions of four counties including Middlesex, Monmouth, Somerset, and Union, and over 40 municipalities. According to the 2000 census report, it has a population of over 647,000. Welcome to the program, Mariloto, and many thanks for taking your time out of your busy schedule to speak to us.
2: I'm very honored to be involved.
1: The general election is less than a few weeks away, but before we discuss that election, your campaign, and the issue, I'd like to discuss briefly your, uh, your primary battle, how you got to this point.
2: I'd love to talk about that. You know, that was one of the most exciting elections I'd ever been involved in.
1: What made it so exciting?
2: Well, you know, it was a grassroots campaign. Now, I love the grassroots. I've always campaigned door to door. And every election that I've won, and at this point I've won six of them, um, I always pride myself on the fact that we knocked on the door of the voter, and that's how we gained their trust and their vote. But in this particular race, we were outspent 12 to 1. You see, my primary opponent was a very wealthy lady from out of district, and she spent over $250,000. I started off with nothing in the bank. I'd say halfway through we probably had $3,000, and by the time we finished the primary, we had spent about $19,000. We won by 84 votes.
1: Putting the money aside, you did get a little help from uh, some friends there, too, the grassroots moment. You also got help from the Tea Party. Uh, I've heard phrases describing you as the little engine that could, Mama Grizzly, and uh, a phrase that it's not about the money, it's about the passion. Talk to me about that.
2: Well, um, I like the phrase Mama Grizzly. There's nobody gets between me and my family. And so that's the way I view that phrase, although I know it's been coined in a number of different ways politically nationwide. Um, But, you know, I think... What, what the strength in this campaign, the primary campaign, and even in the general, is the actual volunteer base. You know, a candidate can get on a soapbox and say whatever we want about our platform, but really the race is nothing without the people who support you and talk to their friends and their family and their co-workers about what they believe in you and why they want to vote for you. You know, we have 200 people that show up right now every Tuesday night in three different locations throughout the district, the Asbury Park VFW, the Keyport IHOP on Route 36, the the what's-the-scoop ice cream and pizza place on Main Street in Metuchen. These are not political offices. These are regular storefronts, and in the case of the VFW, a veterans organization, these are not party-specific. These locations make a welcoming uh, effort to include everybody in the campaign if they want to. It's really a campaign about the people.
1: So you get the Tea Party endorsement in the primary. You have it now. What is it? What does it mean to you? And what does it mean to you now?
2: The Tea Party is America. Tea means taxed enough already... That's the one common thread that brings all of these Americans together. Don't believe anything else you hear in the media about the Tea Party organizations. They're your mother, they're your sister, they're your best friend, they're your co-worker. It's it's mainstream America. That's what the Tea Party is. I'm very proud of the Bay Shore Tea Party Organization, the Jersey Shore Tea Party Organization, the Ocean County Citizens for Freedom, even the Morristown Tea Party Patriots from out of district, and the Independence Hall Tea Party Organization. They've all been helping me. in this race. We even had a little bit of help from Steve Lonegan. and you know, he was a former uh, candidate for governor in the state. And um, I got to tell you, the passion that I derive from these individual Americans who are coming together about taxes, jobs, and the economy, and health care, those are the core issues for the Tea Party movement, and they're the core issues for the campaign this season. You see, and the issue with jobs, if we don't get government out of the way of business, we're not going to have an economy. And without an economy, what good is the country? You've got to get this economy moving again. We need to get government out of the way. That means reducing taxes. That means increasing competition across state lines. It means consumer-driven changes with regard to the environment, any regulations. It has to be driven by the market. Consumers are the are the driving force. And then with health care, I mean, first it's a trillion-dollar expense out front, and then they're getting between you and the doctor. The doctor can only give the treatment if he's going to get paid. The government's going to say what they'll pay for. They're going to have a cost-effective panel that decides whether certain treatment makes it to a patient or not. That angers me. You see, I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm a daughter. I'm charged with caring for my family. I'm not letting anybody get between me and my family, and I'm responsible for their care. So there's no government panel going to tell me whether my family receives treatment, what doctor I can go to, and there's no insurance company going to tell me what I'm doing with my mother or my husband or my children. It's not happening. So we've got to change that.
1: Thank you. You touched a little bit on some of the issues, and we'll get to those in a moment. Um... You're listening to The Core of the Matter. My name is Tom. We're speaking with Anna Little, Mayor of Highlands and Republican candidate for Congress for the 6th Congressional District. Tell me about your background, uh, a little bit about the mayor, who Mayor Little is, your business background experience, and uh, your political government experience. You mentioned briefly you had six campaigns, all victorious under your belt.
2: That's right. Talk to us about that. Well, my first campaign was for a councilwoman in my town, and I recommend everybody start at the local level if you're interested in politics, because all politics really is local. Um, but at any rate, I ran for council in 2002. I served as councilwoman in my town from 2003 to 2005, was reelected in 2005 and began to serve my second term as councilwoman in January of 2006, but I got interrupted because Amy Handlin was elected from the freeholder board. She was actually a freeholder and she was elected to assembly. So she created a vacancy there by moving up to the assembly and the statute took over as to how you would choose a replacement since an election had already occurred to fill that spot. So I got to campaign within the Republican party and I gave the speech of my life and won the convention and then was sworn in the very same, day, February 26, 2006, and I became a freeholder. Um, when I became the freeholder, I actually had to run to confirm the seat in November of 2006, which I successfully did by a margin of 3,000 extra votes. I always look for that number one vote that you need over 50%. Of the voter turnout, and then anything else is extra. That's a gift. So, at any rate, um, having won as freeholder, I then served the remainder of Amy Handlin's term. And because of a falling out within the Republican Party, you know, we don't always disagree just because, well, we don't always agree. Sometimes we do disagree, uh, even though we're in the same party. Um, I decided to fall back and take a break rather than uh, continue the argument. You know, people don't like to see a lot of mudslinging. They want to hear about issues. So if the party has intra-party problems, then, you know, the leadership ought to get a candidate that can agree with them. So I stepped back, and, of course, my town scooped me up, and here I am as mayor. I had run in 2007 with uh, strong encouragement by the local Republicans. The incumbent mayor had personal issues Um, relative to his family, and he he decided not to finish the the run that year because of those uh, issues that came up suddenly. And I'm happy to say those issues are resolved and everybody's okay, but uh, I did uh, get the honor of becoming mayor of my town, which is a, a terrific experience. I'm finishing that term now, and I was approached in a similar fashion to run for Congress. I had been looking at Congress for a couple of years, had been speaking within the party, but because I'm not a wealthy person, I'm a working professional mom uh, in a you know moderate income level, I would say, probably upper middle class, but middle class. And um, you know, they thought maybe I wouldn't be able to fund the race. So they were discouraging me, uh, probably with good reason, from past experience. But I was approached by these grassroots organizations and some friends of mine who knew me from the freeholder days, and uh, I decided to give it a go. They asked me to run as an independent. And I said, that's not a good idea because independents really split the vote. And in fairness to the voting public, what happens in a three-way race when there's no runoff is you very often end up with an elected official who did not get a majority of the vote. They get maybe one third plus of the vote. And that's really not fair because the majority of the people in the district did not choose that individual. So I'm really against the three-party system, unless there's a runoff where you can actually um, take 50% plus one as a requirement for having won the race. So I told them, no, I would not run as an independent, but I did as a Republican agree to run in the primary. There's nothing lost there. That's legal process within the party. And if the people at the base level, the grassroots level, are not in agreement with party leadership. The primary is how you sort that out. And in the primary, we need, we need to vet the candidates and their viability, their ability to win against the Democrat. There shouldn't be any mudslinging. There shouldn't be any negativity. And in my race, there was not. Now, it is notable that we were both ladies, and I do believe the ladies are very civilized when we run for office. Um, but I'm very proud of the fact that my opponent and I stuck to the issues Um, We tried to show our strengths as a candidate against the incumbent uh, Democrat, uh, whom we were hoping to defeat, and that we are united at this point, now that the primary has been completed. And we're standing as one party, the Republican Party. We are standing as one people, the people of Congressional District 6, and we are uh, working to defeat the progressive Democrat incumbent, who is sitting in in the people's seat right now for Congress in Congressional District 6.
1: Talk to me about your strengths. What do you bring to the table for the candidates, uh, for the, uh, the public in the, the general election so far?
2: I think my greatest strength is that I am a working professional mom, and I know what it is to make ends meet in a household in the district. I think um, I am a tireless advocate. Uh, I've known, I'm known to have a big mouth. I, I, you can see that I have no loss for words. Um, but most notably, and this might go back to the freeholder days as an example, um, when challenged, I don't back down. I've got nothing to lose, and I do understand what a fiduciary responsibility is, and that's a big, fancy lawyer word. Frankly, I know what it is to be responsible for bringing somebody else's voice forward and making it understood. You see, as a litigator, as an attorney, that's my job every day. I look into the case. I look at my client's side of the story. I make sure that that plays out in court in documents, in testimony, and in my opening statement and in my closing statement. That's what I'm doing as an elected official. I represent the interests of the people who vote for me, even the people who don't vote for me who live in my district. I have to represent once I'm elected. And I take that job extremely seriously because I respect the sacrifices of the founding fathers who gave birth to this nation. You know, they laid their blood on the battlefield. They gave up their fortunes. Their families were molested or lynched. We have to remember that stuff. And they left us the legacy of the Constitution of the United States so nobody, and I mean nobody, would have to go through that ever again. And I honor them with my service as an elected official. Everybody should look at it that way.
1: What are the three of the single most issues that you feel are important to the voters of the 6th Congressional District uh, for this election year?
2: Jobs, jobs, and jobs, and a little bit of health care. No, we we say it's jobs, the economy, and taxes, because, frankly, the economy and taxes flows directly into jobs. Employers create jobs businesses create jobs. Government can't do that without first taking money away from the people they're giving the jobs to. So we don't really want a structure wherein you've got to pay out first in order to get your job. You want to get your job from the private sector. So what we need to do is we need to create a climate in which businesses can be successful. Now, truthfully speaking, when an employer offers a job, it is about the bottom line. I mean, you're not going to expend money In a business, unless you think you can get it back and perhaps make a profit on top of that, what we've got to do is get government out of the way of business. And that sounds like a pretty catchy phrase, but it's the truth. When we overtax and overregulate businesses, they either move themselves out of the state of New Jersey out of the United States, they outsource, they do all the things we're struggling with right now in this economy. We need to reduce the taxes on business. We need to reduce the taxes on individuals. We need to allow that bottom line to look positive for the employer. Even more importantly, in this particular economy, the government needs a plan. There's a lot of knee-jerk, immediate, upfront taxation-based solutions, bailouts, stimulus, <clears throat> that even the healthcare has got a trillion dollar price tag up front for administration before we get any benefit. All of these kinds of programs, n- disconnected one with the other, with no particular free-flowing plan that a business person can understand, has caused the economy to come to a screeching halt. I mean, frankly, all employers, all corporations right now, small business people, they're holding on to their assets as if it's the last thing they're ever going to own. And they're not extending that job offer. With so many Americans out of work, the regular payments that we're used to receiving into Social Security, the regular tax payments that we would be receiving from these employees who are now out of work, that usually fund things like Medicare, those those payments aren't there. The first thing we have to do is get everybody back to work. So that's the, the, the most important issue. The second most is the health care. You see, that's, that's an un-American law that we've just had passed. We'll need to talk about that.
1: We'll get more into the, uh, the health care issue. I want to explore more the the job and tax issue that you briefly mentioned. This is Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Core, streaming online at thecore.fm. I'm speaking with Anna Little, mayor of the Highlands Borough and Republican candidate for the 6th Congressional District. Core of the Matter. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're uh, Before the break, we were talking about the issues that you feel are important for this year's election, jobs, economy, and taxes. Let's just go back to taxes right now, budget, spending, and, and tax issues. Talk to me a little bit about the Fair Tax solution. What is it? And what's your opinion on it?
2: Well, obviously, I'm a proponent of Fair Tax. You can tell that from looking at the web. Uh, we do link to FairTax.org, which is a good place to find out more, um, specific information on it. Uh, the reason I like the fair tax is because it is a consumption-based tax. It's a national sales tax. However, it is not a VAT. It's not a value-added tax because when you, when you, uh, put forward the fair tax as your solution to tax reform instead of just tax reduction. What you're doing is replacing income taxes. You would be eliminating income tax. You would be eliminating employer taxes. You would be eliminating capital gains tax. There is a bill actually in committee since 2005, and it does have 67 positive votes in the House. So this is a real proposal. Um, The fair tax actually puts government and business on the same side of the ledger. In other words, the employer doesn't have to lay out money in taxes and then look to recoup them with the profit. Frankly, they get to operate their business, they sell their product, and the taxes for the government get collected as part of a portion of that profit, almost a percentage off the top of the profit.
1: Talk to me in numbers, though, about uh, the national sales tax. What do you think the rate would be? I know currently in New Jersey our sales tax is 7%. You eliminate my income tax, which was probably between 27 and 30% right. when it's all said and done with uh, federal and state income tax. What does that come out to the numbers as far as a national sales tax, and what's that going to do? Is it going to be taxes on all products, clothing, food, et cetera? What's that?
2: Well, the taxes would only be on new products and services. So that actually gives the taxpayer a choice as to whether they pay tax or not. If you go to a thrift store, you buy something used, you're not going to be taxed on that sale. Um, As far as percentages, it would translate over to about what's being paid now if we did not change government spending and if we did not increase the base. Now, here is the key. Right now, about 50 percent of taxpayers actually pay taxes. The other 50% of potential taxpayers do not. They're either on some kind of public assistance or they're able to escape taxes by the way that they're being employed. Now, with sales tax, it's paid at the register. Nobody escapes. So our base would go from 50% to 100% as far as paying the tax, which would bring The amount that you're paying down, if you do the analysis and the math right now, you're going to come with anything between 23 and 30% with regard to taxes on an item, which is about what you're paying right now anyway. The difference is you're going to see that tax on a receipt. You're going to know what you paid. Right now, it's embedded. There's a tax on the employer, which you don't see. But, of course, employers don't pay taxes. Consumers do. They pass that cost through when they set the price for the item that you buy. You're going to see it at the register. And when we reduce government spending and increase the number of people who are paying, there is the opportunity to reduce that percentage by quite a bit. I would project maybe half. So that's why I'm such a strong proponent of the fair tax. I also know from having uh, looked at... um, studies or or discussions with corporations who actually have left the United States and either made investments offshore or they've put their operations offshore in foreign countries where there are no regulations and the taxes are much lower, those corporations would come back if the United States put forward a fair tax system rather than the income tax-based system that we have right now. And if we're looking to restore the economy to health or become that economic superpower that we once were, I believe that's the way we're going to be able to do it.
1: What impact would uh, passing the fair tax code have on our current IRS code and end uh, most of us uh, year-end filing our tax returns?
2: Well, first of all, you wouldn't have to file a tax return at all because you'd be paying your sales tax at the register. There would be some reporting, similar to what's done already in business on a state level, um, with regard to what uh, they sold so that you could validate that they paid the proper amount of sales tax. So that would still go on. But the individual taxpayer would – April 15th would be an ordinary day. And as far as the staff at the IRS, they would need some private sector jobs which means you wouldn't be paying those salaries anymore. You'd need a few federal uh, IRS agents or some kind of taxation, whatever title you would give it, um, so that you'd be able to double-check for the federal government's perspective what they're receiving, because the state would probably administer this and send the money up since the system's already in place. But it's very exciting to think of no more April 15th stress and no more... Um, large numbers of salaries for those IRS workers.
1: So I asked you to quantify an estimate as to what I would expect to pay as a national sales tax, and you projected probably about half of what I'm paying combined between my income taxes and my sales tax. I guess to quantify the value of uh, not having to file a tax return would be priceless?
2: Absolutely, and the tax man would not be the villain that he is today.
1: What about uh, taxes for those up to the poverty level?
2: Actually, the uh, fair tax program allows for something called a prebate, which is pretty neat. Frankly, there will always be necessities that are not taxed. The um, necessities are those things that you need for ordinary, everyday living. Um, they're the things that are not taxed right now. The prebate would be the average expenditures for an individual or for a family, and um, on a, on a day-to-day basis, and that amount of money would be given out by way of a monthly check to the individual taxpayers. So you'd actually be getting a check from the government, which you could then spend in the stores where the sales tax obviously would not apply because you've already received your prebate.
1: Which comes first, passing the fair tax uh, resolution or repealing the 16th Amendment?
2: I think they both go hand in hand. I would say you pass the fair tax, you... Um, suspend the operation of income taxes and then you work to repeal and the only reason I say that is because in order to repeal the 16th amendment we need a constitutional convention so we can legislatively suspend it I believe in favor of the fair tax and then we'd have to work on that constitutional convention
1: and for the benefit of our listeners the 16th amendment is
2: that's what establishes your income tax and we need to get rid of that because we're not going to tax you twice
1: we're talking today with Anna Little, the mayor of Highlands and the Republican candidate for the 6th Congressional District. This is the core of the matter. Um, we're talking about taxes right now, state taxes. There are two things they say in life that are certain, death and taxes. What's your opinion on the state taxes?
2: Well, I think the state also has a lot of work to do. I'm very proud of Governor Christie's uh, attempt to handle property taxes. The municipalities have had their hands tied for For decades on this issue, and uh, he's addressing it not only with his 2.0 cap, which is actually 5% lower than what he was uh, initially proposing, um, but also with his toolkit, which allows us to manipulate some of the budget items that we wouldn't ordinarily be able to manage. So um, I'm really proud of what he's doing, but I am hoping, and I I believe he's agreed to do this, uh, that he's going to deal with state spending such that income tax and sales tax, which actually drives the state government, that that's going to get reduced as well. I mean, the taxpayer is paying property taxes, the taxpayer is paying income tax and sales tax, and then they're paying their federal income taxes. It's ridiculous. It's too many layers. It's too much money. People just can't afford to put food on their tables anymore.
1: Does the national sales tax, will that eliminate sales tax at the state level? And if so, then how does the state make up for that loss of uh, revenue?
2: Well, I think what's going to happen is we're going to have to establish a new way of collecting taxes at the federal level. The state obviously is going to help us in administering that because the state already has a sales tax office. So as they see how that's working, we're going to have to promote to them to do the same thing. And we want the municipalities to plug into the state with the same structure. Um, I believe that we're going to have a lot of work to do even after we establish a fair tax federally because we're going to have to go down to the states. and We're going to have to work with states and municipalities to implement the same thing. I'd love to see us get rid of property taxes as well. It's a selective approach to funding government. It's not fair. You want everybody who's benefiting from government services to pay equally. It's just not fair to put it all on the backs of just the property owner.
1: Perhaps the uh, displaced IRS employees become uh, our federal sales tax uh, collectors?
2: Some of them will. We certainly won't need as many as we have. They'll find private sector jobs, I'm sure. We'll make sure that the economy is very healthy. They'll be fine.
1: Fair enough. Speaking of the economy, let's turn to Wall Street reform and the Consumer Perfect, uh, Protection Act. Where's the bailout for Main Street? You're the mayor here of Highlands. Has it impacted your city, your town?
2: No, it's all impacting. It's, it's impacting all of us. I do not believe in bailouts. Um, I, I got to tell you, when my ATM says zero, when my checking account is empty, nobody gives me any extra money. My business fails. I got to start over again. That's the way the world works. We are artificially enabling bad business behavior. And as long as Wall Street, and it's not just Wall Street, it's, the, it's banks everywhere, um, frankly, We cannot continue to enable bad behavior. If they don't think we're coming in to save them, they're going to behave differently. We need a free market economy, ladies and gentlemen. And frankly, any fraud, waste, and abuse that's going on in the business sector, you've got a civil court system, and you've got a criminal court system. And that's the checks and balances that you need. And the competition, the ethics in in providing their service, the consumer is going to choose where they invest their money. And I believe that that's the only checks and balances we need. Freddie, Fannie, the Fed, all artificial indicators, government meddling in a, in a free market system. It's, it's got to be restored to the free market system. Business knows how to run business. Government needs to get our fingers out.
1: How does the Wall Street bailout, and I'm just going to use the Wall Street term since that's uh, the common phrase that's being used, that they differ from your core values on fiscal responsibility by government?
2: Well, the bailout actually saves uh, large banks saying that they're too big to fail. Um, they doesn't support the grassroots or the small business. You see, the American dream is based on that small business, and economies are driven by entrepreneurs, new businesses, spin-off companies. That's where the new jobs are. The old established corporations, they don't expand. They're already huge. They might have some spin-offs, uh, child corporations, but generally they take from within. It's, it's not a situation where they're gonna be stimulating economic growth. Innovation isn't going to occur from the big corporation. It's going to occur from the entrepreneur, the scientist, or the the researcher that's coming up with that new idea and is going to create this small business that's going to, um, you know, need the the assistance or the direction of some you know small business nonprofit support groups. I mean, this is where we come from as a nation, frankly. The American dream is that you can have a family business, like the lumber company in Old Bridge that I visited a a couple Saturdays ago, owned by the parents, worked by the parents. The sons grew up in the family, working in the family business. Now they've taken that over. The family's still working in the business. That's the American dream. And when you bail out the large corporations and you don't help the smaller ones, and there's no opportunity for the smaller one to walk in and perhaps... Take a piece of, or perhaps the whole thing, as a larger business fails, you're interfering in the natural evolution of things in an economy. And that's, I differ strongly on that. I think what we've done in in recent months is a detriment to our economy, and it's un-American.
1: This is CORE of the Matter on 90.3 The CORE, streaming online at thecore.fm. I'm speaking with Anna Little, mayor of Highlands Borough and Republican candidate for the 6th Congressional District. When we come back, we're going to talk further about jobs and uh, what our recent graduates and anticipated graduates from Rutgers can expect from Ms. Little when she gets down to Congress. I'm Tom. Thanks for listening. Before the break, we were talking about uh, taxes, spending, fiscal responsibility, you name it. Ms. Little was talking about it. I I want to turn back quickly on taxes, touch briefly on estate taxes, commonly referred to as death taxes, and then uh, talk about jobs and the creation of jobs and and what our graduates from Rutgers can expect. So, estate taxes.
2: Well, I don't believe people ought to be taxed for dying. I mean, that's the bottom line. So we need to eliminate the estate tax. Uh, I feel very strongly about this. Um, Frankly, if I work hard, and I plan to, and I leave investments or money, money, to my children, I do not want the government getting between me and my family again. It's my right to pass my property on to my kids when I die. And the government doesn't belong in the middle of that. The government's done nothing to earn that money, and therefore they shouldn't be taking it. I think it's highway robbery, and I'm not going to allow it to continue. So I believe that I'm uh, in the majority of those running um, nationwide on this issue, and I believe that we will eliminate the death tax when I'm elected on November 2nd.
1: Do you think that the are increasing debt,
2: um, debt uh,
1: grows daily for us poses uh, a risk to our national security?
2: Absolutely. You see, if a nation cannot operate economically, then we end up depending upon others to bail us out. Greece is an example. The economy in Greece came to a screeching halt. You saw the riots in the streets, you saw the run on the banks, you saw people in a complete state of panic. If it were not for the European Union, Greece would not be operating today. We cannot allow ourselves as a nation to depend on foreign nations, anybody else, to take care of us. Our nation was founded on independence. We need to maintain that independence. In so many ways, we are becoming dependent on other countries worldwide. We, we, we are in debt to China quite a bit. I would hate to think what the Chinese will do if we cannot pay back that debt. That has to be rolled back. You know, we're the first generation that is about to leave to our children a worse economic situation than we were born into. That's a sin. We cannot allow that to occur. It's unfair to the next generation for us to leave this mess. I'm willing to go down to Washington and clean that up. You see, I have three teenage children. My daughter's a freshman in college. She happens to go to the College of New Jersey. She didn't want to sign a student loan application because she thought after four years of college she wouldn't be able to find a job. If that doesn't break a mother's heart, nothing does. I told her, don't worry, honey, I'm going to run for Congress. We'll fix that for you.
1: We're going to get to education and funding. Let's talk about jobs, though. What is Anna Little going to do for uh, our graduates at Rutgers or New Jersey uh, College?
2: Well, what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we get the taxes down on these employers and we give them a plan as far as what we're going to do as far as reforming taxes, as far as paying back the deficit and the debt, making this country solvent again, um, continuing programs, but trying to bridge the gap between being on public assistance and getting back into the workforce. Because all of this comes to the expense, the bottom line on the expense side of the ledger for these employers. We want for our children, for the new people entering the workforce, that's you guys that are going to be graduating from college, we want employers that are feeling like this country is great, this economy is going to blossom, and that way they're going to be looking for your talent in order to give them that profit, and frankly, we want you, some of you who will be entrepreneurs or work in family businesses, to know that you can continue to do that. I don't want you, as perhaps the son or daughter of someone that owns a business, whatever type of business that is, to feel that you can't go work in the family business because of tax or or regulation issues that are going to get in your way. I want you to do the work of your choosing, the work of your profession, the work that you've studied to become a professional and an expert in. We want you to go out and get that experience to live your American dream and to pass that on to your kids. I am dedicated to this. I know that the economic principles that I espouse work. We've seen it happen. It's never been done 100%, but when it's even been done in a portion, it's had a tremendous boost to the economy, and we're going to be doing it. We're going to do it again. That that burst of, of, of economic success we had in the 90s, that was not an accident. The policies that were instituted just Prior to that, resulted in that boost. And we're going to do it again.
1: Education. You're quoted as saying the Department of Education is not necessary. Why?
2: Because it's a top-down opportunity for the federal government to mandate educational issues and requirements, and that increases the cost of education, which then increases taxes. Listen, education should be driven by the teacher in the classroom who's the expert on it, and the parent on behalf of the child and then once that child turns 18 between the student and the professor there's absolutely no reason for top down mandates from the federal government or from the state government what we end up doing is focusing on passing a standardized test which is not how it's not akin to teaching of course, if you want to have a litmus and see how people can do with regard to math calculations or, or things of the sort, okay, you can use a standardized test for that. But the focus needs to be on the classroom, not on the testing, not on the teacher's salary, not on physical plant or multi-tiered administration levels. We've gotten very confused, very out of scope Um, off base with regard to the focus in education. I'm the product of two teachers. My mother taught math. My dad taught English in the Middletown High School South where I attended. That was an interesting thing to do growing up, having both your parents teach in the school where you attended. But um, I did see and learn a lot from being the child of two teachers. First of all, they're dedicated Most teachers, it's not a profession, it's not a job, it's a vocation. I watched my parents struggle with, okay, this kid's not doing well. They knew the names of every student, they knew what their strengths and weaknesses were individually, and they touched a lot of lives. The teachers are dedicated. They will make sure the teaching occurs in the classroom, but they need to definitely have the support of the parents at home. It's a combination between the teacher in the classroom and the parent and the family structure. That's what promotes education to the student. And when you have multi-tiered levels of administration, they suck money out of the system to do administrative tasks in multi-level. They're pushing paper. There's not a lot of impact on the classroom there. Oversight, yes, but... Impact in the classroom, no. And then, you know, we don't really need to worry about these sports structures and indoor pools. And, you know, this is not what education is about. We certainly can have sports complexes and promote sports and athletics. But I think that the education in the classroom is what's going to get you into your job, help you make in a living. And for, there's very few people that are going to be those expert sports athletes. And, you know, we can do that in a different way. So I, I really think that's, that's what we have to do with education.
1: Although not necessarily an issue at the federal level for Congress, um, you did touch a little bit on unfunded mandates from the top down from the Department of Education. How do we go about paying for public education from K through 12? And then, again, addressing the high cost of college, uh, you mentioned yourself your daughter was hesitant to sign a, a loan, and you actually got to take out a loan. And sometimes to pay for colleges these days, it's uh, as great of is if not more than an investment if you're buying a house.
2: Well, I'll tell you from my experience as a freeholder, I know that even the community colleges, there's um, tuition, there's the county payment, and then there's the state payment, and the state has not been making their payments, and that's largely because their their budget's out of control. Um, I think we have the same issue with regard to K through twelve funding. It's lumped only on the property tax, and so you have a smaller number of people paying. Um, and, you know, frankly, the education is it's a spending issue. It's always a spending issue when you talk about taxes. As I said, you've got the physical plant issues. You've got probably too much administration. And, you know, with regard to the um, the management of the of the school budget, you really do need to work with the school boards and the school boards need to be listening to the parents they need to listen to the parents because it's the parents that in, 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 uh, eventually need to be taxed. I actually am a school choice advocate. I like the voucher system. I think competition among the schools would drive the cost down. Um, people are going to want to pay what that voucher represents, but they're going to want to pay for excellence. And that competition would probably put the focus back on the classroom. Um, in addition to that, I think every st- the money should follow the student, and I think every student that's in the school should have a a taxation amount that's assigned to that. I wouldn't mind if it were funded from income tax and sales tax instead of property tax. I think that might be more fair, but you know, school funding is really a state issue. I have my opinions on it, but I'm definitely going to be working on that. And as for college costs, the best thing we can do is again, restore the economy to health we need to have a, a healthy economy. We need to make sure that businesses are extending jobs. We need to make sure that the average salary has an upward um, ab- an ability to rise so that the quality of life in these households is improved. And then there will be money available to students through their parents or maybe on their own to pay for their college education, better themselves. Again, it's all about the American dream.
1: You're listening to Core of the Matter. We're speaking with Anna Little, mayor of the Highlands so- borough and Republican candidate for the Congress for the 6th Congressional District. Our topic at the present is paying for education both at the K-12 level and beyond at college. Recognizing that Funding for public education is really a state issue. But what about at the, at the college level, though? Is it, is it strictly a state issue, or is there something that the federal government can do to make it more affordable, and if not make it more affordable, make funds more readily available for the parents and, and students to attend colleges of their choice?
2: Well, I wouldn't be opposed to merit-based scholarships. I mean, we, we could probably go in that direction. My understanding with regard to college funding is that, you know, the, the federal government has just recently taken over the management of student loans, and I think that's hurt the economy terribly. I mean, frankly, what they've done is they've taken an entire segment of the economy and eliminated it and put the government in its place. I'm not sure that was the right answer. I mean, we definitely need to promote access to education. I certainly want to see students who are in an underprivileged family uh, situation, which obviously is no fault of the student. I mean, if they're born into it or they're adopted into it and they're living that, that's, uh, the, you know, the adults that are in that hardship, and the, the student is suffering it as well. We definitely don't want education to be focused on one economic strata over another. Everybody's got to have access. So, you know, I'm certainly going to be a proponent of that. But it needs to be balanced, and we certainly want to make sure that there's private funding available in a similar fashion as well. You see, when you're given a handout from the government, Sometimes you're, you feel as though you're put down a little bit. When somebody in the private sector that doesn't have that obligation decides to lift you up and, and give you, you know, a hand up to, to a better education and a better way of life, that values you immediately. And the same spirit of generosity, the same spirit of giving fills you, and then you're likely to do it for somebody else. And we don't want to eliminate that by making it the government's job to do these things. We'll certainly work on making sure that the government does its part, but I think that we definitely want to encourage the private sector to do more.
1: And then lastly, does the national sales uh, tax, does that have any impact on funding of education at the at the local level?
2: Well, obviously the national sales tax is going to have an impact on taxes in the economy. School funding is interrelated directly. I mean, if we're able to do this national sales tax and property taxes are no more, we're definitely going to be funding education from that national sales tax, there will be more dollars available. Any increase that you'd need to make in order to cover school funding, if it's not already built into the tax structure, and it may be, that increase would be minimal because of the broad 100% base of payment that would be going on nationwide. I can't say enough about that national sales tax structure as the way of the future and the way to restore economic health and make us that economic superpower.
1: Thank you. Environment and the energy. That's our next topic for you.
2: i got a lot to say.
1: We're looking forward to hearing to you. I I want to know a little bit about your opinion on the U.S. energy policy. I am of the mind that we've walked this planet way too long to still be dependent on fossil fuels. What are your thoughts?
2: I can support alternative energy sources, but I would like to see it happen through the free market model with pressure from the nonprofit organizations who are experts with regard to environmental impact. I don't think I like too much the government regulation aspect of this. When it's immediate, there's no opportunity for planning on the part of the businesses. What we've done in the state of New Jersey, for example, is we've driven manufacturing completely out of the state. Um, what business has to do to to react when there's an immediate regulation, top-down, as I dislike, <laughs> I like bottom-up, um, but a top-down regulation in the environment tends to drive business out because there's no way that they can comply without laying people off or without, you know, ending up in the red. So business won't allow themselves to do that because that's how business fails. So what we need to do is come up with a way of structuring environmental compliance with the input and following the direction of the nonprofit organizations that know best about what has to be done with regard to environmental impact. You know, I've been actually a a baykeeper, oyster reseeder. I've actually been the proponent of the the most active, um, perhaps the only active, environmental commission in the Borough Highlands. I actually live on the beach. My house is on Fifth Street in the Borough Highlands. The, the bay is my backyard. So I completely um, sympathize with nonprofit organizations that are pro-environment. I do consider myself a defender of the environment. We're the stewards of the environment, and we need to leave it in equal or better condition, and I promote better since there's already been some damage in the past. For our children, this generation cannot abuse the environment and then leave it for our children to clean up. So, you know, I fully see that. I actually promoted biodiesel as a fuel alternative uh, when I was in um, uh, my my seat as a freeholder in Monmouth County, and we did implement that, and it's still ongoing today. So we've taken some steps, some steps in that regard. I've looked at solar panels for some of the municipal buildings, although I think that the best impact we can have on the grid for electricity with solar panels is to put them on every house because, you know, in a shore community, when the minute you turn all the air conditioners on, that's where your brownout or your blackout happens. So you need to put some relief to the grid, and I think solar does that in a really successful way. Um, I think that we could uh, stimulate or um, shall we say, encourage homeowners to do that by having some uh, tax um, abatements or, or perhaps some tax incentives or even a grant program or two, not big, you know, just enough to get people to want to do it, and then see where it goes from there. We can work with the nonprofits. Sometimes nonprofits can administer grants. You know, they do they do their funding, and they, and they promote awareness, and sometimes they will facilitate some of these improvements. A number of houses have a lottery, have one house do it, put the public awareness out there. But even more importantly, water turbine is great for Highlands. You see, we've got a current that is very unique under the bridge in Highlands, very fast-moving. The amount of electricity we can generate from that current when the tide changes, is absolutely amazing. And we've actually had some nuances, some, some new technology occur to bring down the size of these turbines so that they can actually be used in the water depth and in the, uh, the breadth of those bridge stanchions so that we can actually take advantage of it. And there, believe it or not, is a private corporation that would like to put this in place. And then we as a borough might have the opportunity to cooperate and actually have an alternative source of revenue, not on the taxpayer dollars, to, to reduce taxes in Highlands. So alternative energy is definitely a focus.
1: This is Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Course. We're streaming online at thecora.fm. I'm speaking with Anna Little, who's the mayor of Highlands Borough, and she's a Republican candidate for the 6th Congressional District. Our topic at the moment is the environment, energy issues, and we'll talk further about that when we come back. Thank you. You're listening to Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum at ninety point three. The Core. We're streaming online at thecore.fm. My name is Tom, and I'm here with Anna Little, mayor of Highlandsboro, and she's a Republican candidate for the sixth congressional district for the general election that's coming up this November, right around the corner. The sixth congressional district includes municipalities from four different counties. Middlesex Somerset and Union maybe we'll touch a little bit about that too just the, the challenges because it's quite uh, geographically diverse and I'm sure demographically diverse as well but for the moment we were talking about uh, energy and the environment and uh, miss little's theories and comments about that talk to me a little bit more about alternative energy and where do you think that may help us get away from our dependence upon foreign oil?
2: Well, the dependence on foreign oil is actually a matter of national security. I believe strongly that it is uh, possible for a future terrorist attack on this country to be eliminating or, or restricting our access to that foreign fuel source. And that could just throw our economy completely haywire. So we certainly do not want to maintain any dependence on foreign energy sources. I do believe we have located already within the United States enough energy sources that if we were to domestically produce, we would be able to be independent with regard to energy sources. And where we don't have that in the way of fossil fuels or nuclear energy or coal shale, whatever it is, um, we have identified within the United States, alternative energy can bridge that gap. And I, I just don't see any need for us to be depending at all. And then we can certainly work away from a dependency on fossil fuels. Listen, I know that whatever God put in the earth we're supposed to be using at some level. But if it's creating pollution and it's hurting the earth, that's not what we're supposed to be doing as stewards of the environment. So we do need to work our way toward energy sources that are not gonna damage the home that we live in, especially if we wanna leave it for generations to come. So we need to work on that together and I'm, I'm certainly gonna be active in that fight. But the, the, immediate, the immediate issue for me is energy independence. And I think as quickly as we can, especially in this worldwide climate, You know, al-Qaeda's not done. Al-Qaeda did what they were going to do on the 11th. They're still active. Thank God our government's on top of it. We haven't had another attack. We've had plenty that were thwarted, plenty that didn't happen because of government vigilance. I understand that their next seat of operations could very well be Eastern Africa, uncharted territory for most of the world, okay? We, We need to be careful. We do not want to have this country destabilized economically yet again. We've been through it twice in the last decade. We don't want to do it again. So I want to make sure that we take care of this energy independence right away. And then we can certainly work toward those alternative energy sources. And we can take input from those nonprofit organizations that I believe in and are so supportive strongly. Um, I I want to make sure that we work together so that we don't negatively impact the environment in such a a catastrophic way that we need to be dealing with large level cleanup. No, that's not where we're going here. What we need to do is make sure we can get that independence as quickly and efficiently as we can working with those environmental organizations, and then we need to make sure we get onto alternative energy production through a free market fashion so we don't drive the businesses out of the country or out of the state. You know, we got to balance it. We're going to get it done.
1: Alternative energy, real quickly. You spoke about uh, a water turbine that's specific to Highlands Borough. What about uh, air?
2: I do know a lot about wind. We've actually done a lot of investigation at the Borough of Highlands and in the county of Monmouth on these different alternative uh, sources of energy. Wind energy tends to be very upfront cost and uh, very small production. Um, It's not also regular production. Generally, when you have the surge in the grid, the wind is not always there at the same time of the surge. So that's why I like solar a little bit better. Um, We have some issues with... um, government-imposed wind turbines in uh, the Congressional District 6 that I'm opposed to. I mean, it's not about the wind there. It's about the process and procedure. Frankly, you've got property that's owned by a public utility. In other words, property that's owned by the people. And then the people don't want this wind turbine because of health risk issues or perhaps property value devaluation because of the uh, shadow of this thing or the noise related to it. Um, And because the people don't want it, That's what's offensive, because you've got government imposing on people an item that they don't want on land that they own. That just is philosophically offensive to me. But where people want them, of course, you have planning boards and zoning boards that can approve these projects. I personally don't think I'd have as much of a problem as an individual if my neighbor put a wind turbine on their roof attached to the side of their home. I mean, this kind of thing doesn't bother me in the same way that a huge monstrosity in the middle of a neighborhood where you've got a home 1,500 feet away and kids playing in the backyard and you don't know what the health risk is from that. You know, um, I'm not sure. I mean, there have been identified health risks with certain types of high-tension power, high-power tension lines. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not an expert in science. I just know that the people don't want it. The people own the land. It's the people's utility that's forcing it on them, and and government shouldn't be imposing things on people that way.
1: And lastly, on uh, energy issues, um, the phrase has been commonly used in in the national media and and, uh, President Obama attending uh, environmental summits and whatnot. Tell me in layperson's terms what cap and uh, trade is all about.
2: Bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, it's a shell game. It does not benefit the environment. It's allowing corporations to trade credits so they don't comply with environmental regulations. It's a it's a way for politically or politically motivated elected officials to reward their cronies, and that is wrong. It's going to drive up your energy costs because any cost that is uh, imposed in the energy area, is going to be driven straight down to the consumer. We've already seen some elevated costs with regard to this. Americans for Prosperity is on top of this issue um, nationwide. And, of course, I'm against cap and trade. I'd be looking to eliminate it, and uh, that's, that's where I stand.
1: This is 90.3, The core, the core of the matter. We're speaking with Anna Little, Mayor of Highlands and Republican candidate for Congress for the 6th Congressional District. Mayor Little, I want to read something to you, and then I want to get your thoughts. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Simply worded, the intent is clear, like most of the Constitution. Where did we go wrong, or did we go wrong?
2: We definitely went wrong at the federal level. Federal government is very largely out of scope with the intentions of the Founding Fathers and the, the legal dictates of the Constitution. The Constitution is not a piece of artwork, The Constitution is not an outdated document. The Constitution is, quite frankly, the supreme law of the land. When an immigrant applies for citizenship and is asked the question, what is the Constitution? The answer to that question is the supreme law of the land. We're teaching it to our new citizens. We're not respecting it in elected office. Frankly, that 10th Amendment allows states to to actually make this health care law, that so many are against, inoperative within the state boundaries if the state legislature chooses to use it. Down in the State House you've got Allison littell McCose, who's an Assemblywoman. You've got Mike Daugherty, The two of them are sponsoring a 10th Amendment initiative legislatively. You can make this specific to health care. I really don't understand, frankly, why all the states don't do that. This is an un-American, unconstitutional directive to people who can't even put food on the table right now because they're out of work to buy a health insurance policy that is actually dictated to them in form and in expense by the government and then to be moderated as far as cost effectiveness with regard to the treatment prescribed by doctors, it's just a complete abomination. We need to get rid of this health care law, and the most effective way to do it is through the 10th Amendment.
1: Putting the, the health care law aside, but let's, let's talk about prospectively thinking about legislation that you might be confronted with once you're down at the House of Representatives. What is your opinion on requiring within that resolution? a specific reference or citation to the amendment that permits Congress to act uh, accordingly.
2: I cannot vote for any legislation as a Congresswoman that is not functioning under one of the enumerated powers of the Constitution of the United States. It would be illegal for me to do that. It is illegal for other people to do that. This expansion of the general welfare uh, clause or the commerce clause, it's not intended by the founding fathers. Big government was the last thing in the world these people fought for. They were coming away from top-down big government where they were unrepresented and didn't have a voice. And we are, we are strangely moving toward the same thing that we just fought to get away from in the American Revolution. Frankly, it was foreshadowed by many of the founding fathers. When, when certain members of the uh, Constitutional um, uh, Congress came out of those meetings and were asked what kind of government they had just given the people of the United States of America, they said a republic if you can keep it. That was the quote for the very reason because they could foresee what was happening today. We owe it to our founding fathers to prove to them that we can keep this republic and we can do so by just looking in plain English to the words that they wrote. These men they were very successful men in their own personal lives, but they had never done this before. Talk about cutting edge, bleeding edge in government. These guys just rose up and said enough is enough. I can take care of my family. I don't need any government telling me what to do within my own household, with my bank book, with my health care. I don't need these soldiers marching into my dining room to make sure I'm not having a political meeting at my dinner table. This was ridiculous kind of life they had. We're getting close to that ourselves. What is going on right now in this midterm election nationwide could be, I believe it is, the most historic moment since 1776. Americans are standing up. They're saying enough is enough. Government doesn't belong at my kitchen table. They're certainly not helping me pay my bills. I want my government back. I want to direct my government. I know what's best for me and my family, and I'm honored to be a part of this.
1: This is 90.3, the core, of the core of the matter. I'm Tom, and we're speaking with Anna Little, mayor of the Kylans and Republican candidate for Congress, the 6th Congressional District. Your district is, is geographically diverse, demographically diverse. It stretches all the way from Plainfield up in uh, Middlesex County. It runs through, uh, I'm sorry, Union County. Is that Union or Plainfield?
2: Plain, Plainfield is Union County, and Franklin is Somerset County.
1: There you go. It runs through New Brunswick and Piscataway and all the way south down to Asbury Park. How do you attack that as far as uh, campaigning and getting your message out to the people there?
2: one person at a time, one door at a time, and we do use a fleet of pickup trucks with oversized lawn signs on the back. We're having a lot of fun in this campaign. I strongly recommend anybody that wants to give a gander uh, at a piece of history occurring that they plug in at one of our Tuesday meetings. And certainly you can Google me out on the web and uh, you can put in an email address where we're prompted to do so and find out what we're all about. But generally speaking, we have a microcosm Right here in Congressional District 6 of just about every issue that the nation deals with on a daily basis. And I feel strongly that the principles that I'm bringing forward with many just like me that are running nationwide. You know, we had a visit from a couple of ladies, one who's running against Harry Reid. Ms. Sharon Engel, and another one who's actually running for governor in South Carolina. That would be Nikki Haley. These ladies came came by. Now, Sharon, she's about my height, my hair color. So it was kind of shocking to be standing next to her, you know, not quite looking in the mirror, but seeing an awful lot in common. But when she opened her mouth, it's the same principles I'm talking about, the same defense of the individual American and their family, that this is the core values. This is why it's not about one political party. I got to tell you, it's, it's very, very important that we, that we drive this home to the people, the young people who are coming up through the ranks. This is not about me. This is not about my parents. This is about my children and my grandchildren. This is about the very people who are in college right now or just entering the workforce. It's about your ability to support yourself, buy a home, raise a family, have a future for your kids. This race is all about you, and I hope that you'll stand up and get involved.
1: Well, thank you very much. I thank you for your time. My name is Tom. You've been listening to CORE of the Matter, the public affairs forum of 90.3 of the CORE. I've been speaking uh, with Anna Little, mayor of Highlandsboro, and she's a candidate for the 6th Congressional District. As we've mentioned throughout the program, the 6th Congressional District includes municipalities here in New Jersey and Middlesex County including New Brunswick and Piscataway, Monmouth County, and Somerset and Union. If you have any questions concerning this broadcast, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode of CORE the Matter, you can email us at publicaffairs at thecore.fm. That's publicaffairs at thecore.fm. This, of course, is 90.3 The CORE. And again, my name is Tom, and I'm speaking with Mayor Little. Thank you very much, Mayor.
2: Thank you very much, and I wish everybody good luck. Go out and vote on November 2nd. Also running for Congress in District 6 are Frank Pallone Jr.,
0: the Democratic incumbent, who declined our invitation to appear on core of the matter, and Jack Freudenheim, an independent, and Karen Ann Zalatel of the Green Tea Patriots. Unfortunately, we could not find contact information for either of these candidates. For more information on all the races taking place in the November 2nd election, including information on finding your polling place, you can check out the Rutgers-Eagleton Institute of Politics at njvoterinfo.org. You've been listening to The Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Core. Opinions expressed on The Core of the Matter are those of the participants only, and not necessarily those of WVPHFM or Rutgers University.